0: Okay, good evening. Today is November 15th, Monday. We are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is a vision for you. And our speaker tonight is Nancy C. Thank you, Nancy C.
1: Hey, good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me here tonight. Is this the fellowship we crave or what? I mean, what a nice way to start a meeting with that old traditional reading and just getting centered to be able to have a God-filled moment. So I really appreciate having the opportunity to share with you tonight. And I'd like to start with a quick prayer. Um, Dear God, my spiritual awakening continues to unfold. The help I have received, I will pass on to others, both in and out of the fellowship. For this opportunity, I am grateful. I pray most humbly to continue to walk day by day on the spiritual road and spiritual progress. I pray for the inner strength and wisdom to practice the principles of this way of life and all I do and say, I need you, my friends in the program, every hour of every day. This is a better way to live. May you speak through me today. So I'm really excited to be here. I don't profess myself to be an expert in the big book and have um, never talked about a chapter of a book, but I'm really kind of excited to share what I got out of it when I was preparing for this. But let me do a quick qualification of why I belong in these rooms with you guys. I entered OA in 2011. Um, I am a double winner. I entered um, AA in August of 1984, but I, my abstinence day, date in OA is October 18th of 2020, so you can do the mat, math there. My home group is a 630 Tuesday meeting in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, I've surrendered 60 pounds um, by working uh, this program and giving up my old way of dying for this new way of living. Um, I have a sponsor who know, who knows I'm her sponsee, and I also have several sponsees. And I say that meaning that I'm in very routine contact with my sponsor, and I feel that that's a real benefit to this program and part of the fellowship. Um, what it was like, you know, um, I had a perception problem, and the beginning of this um, chapter is also going to talk about what it was like for me, but everything I had was skewed towards my self-centeredness and um, my self-seeking. I had an ego that was the size of the universe. I don't think anyone could have matched that. And I always felt that I was inadequate. I had a huge hole that today I know is my God hole, but I couldn't fill it with food. I couldn't fill it with liquor. I couldn't fill it with accolades people would tell me that I was good at what I was doing. Well, they were lying. They didn't really know. I always had it to be better. I always wanted more. And that more always wanted more. I was never good enough as far as I can consider myself, even though I know probably I was very adequate and probably had a great life. But to me, if anybody really knew what was going on in this head of mine, oh my God, I would have been dead in the water because nobody understood just the loneliness and heartache and just fear of being found out that I had my whole life. Um, you know, I lost the power of choice sometime early in my life. Um, it, it became, um, food became a solution for me for everything. When I was happy, when I was sad, when I was mad, when I was glad, it didn't make any difference. I just always knew that that first bite, I got that feeling that everything was okay. And it took me a long time to realize what that feeling was for me. Um, you know, it says at the beginning of this um of this chapter that um, people in disease are visited by the four horsemen of terror, bewilderment, frustration and despair on page 151. And that really was me. I just really could not exist in the real world without thinking the other shoe was gonna fall. fall. And I isolated more and more until there was finally no place to go and I was desperate. So I came to away in 2011, I got a really great food plan and I started dropping weight like there was no tomorrow. So I never understood a step. I never understood a surrender. All I knew was I had a great food plan. I would show up at meetings, didn't listen to what they said because I was losing weight and for the next eight years after the first year that I had probably white knuckle abstinence. Um, I started putting that weight back on because I started to take my will back and a little bit of sugar here and a little bit of sugar there. And pretty soon it was a little sugar everywhere and 50 pounds later, I was in an uncontrollable binge where I could not stop for the life of me. I would wake up in the morning and say, I will not do this again. And by 7.30 in the morning, I was at Starbucks getting two, not one, two chocolate chip cookies. And then I might as well, I screwed it up for the day and just ate sugar the rest of the day. And would go to bed literally with a stomach ache, crying, God, I can't do this again. And what would I do the next morning? I'd say I wouldn't do it. And I would start going again. And somebody suggested that I... Um, call into a vision for you. I did all of this. I got my, I got recovered in, um, in COVID and I'm really grateful that I was able to get recovered in COVID, but I was like, I'm not doing any more AA stuff. It does not work. I have eight years of showing that this does not work for me. And they said, just try this meeting. And so, you know, I called in a vision for you. And it's funny that we're talking about a vision for you in the chapter as well, but I heard something a message of depth and weight. And for the first time heard in my life that I had an allergy, I was clueless that that was the reason that I had to have those two chocolate chip cookies that set me up for the day and kept me going for the rest of the day. Because they also told me I had a mental twist, a mental illness that once I started eating, I couldn't stop. And once I stopped without anything to to deal with those feelings, I had to start again. So I had that twofold whammy of that once I started I couldn't stop and once I stopped I couldn't stop from starting and the only thing that could help me was a spiritual program that I found within this book so as it says on page 163 one man with a book took me aside and walked me through this book the first 164 pages and I've never turned back And part of this program for me today is this vision for you, because I am responsible to pass on what I've learned to the next person and the next person. And that's what's created the whole fellowship that we're here to talk about today. You know, it says at the beginning of this chapter that, um, you know, most normal folk talk really look for, um, they say alcohol, but look for release um, by eating to take care of boredom, worry. Um, They want joyous intimacy to be able to sit around and talk to people while they're eating. And when they're done, they move on. I couldn't do that. I lost the pleasure. I lost the choice of being able to do that. But my whole life was always built around food and that camaraderie that came along with food. So if that went away, what happened? You know, you turn to page 152 and it says, you know, if I'm willing to put down this food, I'm just going to be... Shall I be stupid, boring, and glum? <laughs> and that's what really I felt like, what am I going to do with my life? And it, the whole chapter here in this whole book says, it's summed up in the um, third paragraph on page 152. Yes, there is a substitute, and it's vastly more than that. It's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. The most satisfactory years of your existence lie ahead. Thus, we find fellowship and so will you. And what are they saying about fellowship? They're saying that it's so grand. They're saying that you'll find new friends. Among them, you'll make lifelong friends. You'll be shoulder to shoulder with your um, people on a common journey, not, you know, a hierarchy or I have to prove myself to anyone. I'll learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as as I love myself. I'll be there for other people, just like other people are for me. And this is something, you know, I get really, really excited because my whole life has changed in the last year. I mean, I do have friends that I never would have had a year ago, and I consider them better than the friends I had that I went to grade school with growing up. Um, And if we look at each other and we see that it happened to, to me, it happened to you, The age of miracles really are uh, among us. Just like it says, we're all miracles. And what do we do? We talk to the next alcoholic, we talk to the next compulsive eater, and they get that person to get well and get to the next person, and it goes on and on. So it says um, here that our hope is that when this chip of a book is launched, and this again, remember, was in 1939, On the world tide of alcoholism, defeated drinkers will seize upon it to follow its suggestion. Many we are sure will rise to their feet and march on. They'll approach still other sick ones and the fellowship of alcoholics anonymous may spring up in each city and Hamlet, havens for those who must find a way out. And let's look at it today. I think the last I heard there's over 200 um, 12 step programs all over the globe. So look at what these guys did. You know, you really think of the Oxford group and Ebby Thatcher talking to Bill W and then Bill W talking to Dr. Bob, which is the next part of this section. And from there, look at where we are today, man, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. Um, You know, normal people can can eat and and have camaraderie around that we've got a spiritual program, we've got spiritual basis that we have around us. So I'm glad that I'm not, as in the doctor's opinion, that says we're, we're a distinct entity, we're not like normal people, and we can't be like normal people. But my God, I wouldn't want to be a normal person now that I know what I know about having this disease and the recovery and the God that I found from Doing that is just amazing. Um, You know, it it goes on. The next couple of pages really tells us how um, Bill um, went on a business trip. You know, he's sober, but he's going out. His business trip goes south. And he's got a choice to make. You know, he is like, okay, what do I do? He's in despair. We know he was prone to depression. He had a choice. He saw you know, there was a directory of Catholic churches. And then he also heard a gay crowd in the bar, you know, and he's like thinking, which way do I go? You know, maybe I could just go sit in the bar and have some ginger ale. And we, don't, we all know how that works. You put yourself next to the flame, it's, it's, you're gonna get burned. But he did have that temptation. And then he says that um, he finally got his sanity and, and phoned the clergyman and asked to find somebody who needed help, somebody who was an alcoholic. And it said his sanity returned and he thanked God because we always have to go back to God when those little miracles happen, when we make the right choice, when we decide to go right instead of going left when we have those options. And then he called the clergyman and he found Dr. Bob and Dr. Bob was a sorry sot. You know, He was into his disease and really didn't see a way out because he was too embarrassed because of his reputation you know, he couldn't, he was a good standing fellow in the community. And like us, you know, we all hide and we think nobody knows what's going on in our life. Nobody knows that we eat compulsively or that we've got a problem. So he was unwilling to take this program and admit truly that he was an alcoholic. And earlier in the book, I think it says that, um, you know, there are four reasons that keep us from from taking this program and really taking it in. We've got a resentment we won't let go of. We've got a secret we won't admit. We've got a thrill that we won't give up, or we've got a resentment, or we've got a um, amends that we refuse to make. And that was Dr. Bob's problem. He really wouldn't completely give himself to this program. It sounded good, but to talk to other people and admit where he was, he couldn't do it. And on page um, 156, it says that he saw that he would have to face his problems squarely and that God might give him mastery. And that's after talking to um, Bill about that this program really does work and that he can really change his life. He went and he made restitution to um, the people he needed to in his community and was kind of surprised that people knew that he had a problem. And, you know, that made him feel a little bit better, but he walked out. A free man and never look back. And then, what did the two of them do? They didn't stop and rest on their laurels. They turned around and went and found a corker, as they called him, and decided to twelve-step him and started to work on him. But did they talk to him down? Did they talk down to him and say, "You need to do this. This is what you have to do. This is where your problems are"? No, they talked about themselves. They said, "Here's my experience, strength, and." hope. I was lost. There was no way I was going to come out of this. I was longstanding in the community. I thought I was going to lose everything. This really works. And so they got the lawyer to agree that, you know, I was a nobody, but maybe I'll try your way. And they had another person. You know, so within three months of um, Bill being in this on this business trip and sticking around and living with Dr. Bob, I think he was. Don't hold me to that. I'm not a historian on the big book, but he hung around for three months, and um, they got a they got a fourth a fourth guy also to um, join in. So by the time he left, he had three people in one one city that started a fellowship, and that's how the fellowship was created. And That's what the thank you. That's what the vision is in this book. It really is to create of fellowship that really has the same, um, we have a common problem and we have the common solution. And it doesn't matter where you are in life or what type of position you hold or where you came from, we all speak the same language, the language of the heart, the language that God has given us to be able to save us from the despair and the treachery that we had lived. I mean, I am so lucky that God really literally plucked me out of the cake pan and, and put me, rocketed me into the fourth dimension. And I would never want to be anywhere else, but where I am today. You know, it talks a little bit about meetings where I think it infers that on page 160, like what would be kind of a good meeting, a gay crowd inside, we laugh at our own misfortunes. Um, We hear the stories of people and we can closely relate to our to our own. We see the expression of people and we can see something in the eyes of people that we can relate to. Um, We have a very practical approach. We have tolerance or we are not intolerant of anyone. We're informal. We have genuine democracy, uncanny understanding, and we find people irresistible. on page 161, they had seen miracles and one had come to them. They had visioned the great reality, their loving and all-powerful creator. You know, today, um, with so many 12-step programs and so many different meetings, I think we have a responsibility. We're in a very strong big book meeting here tonight. I know this is a really strong meeting. I go to other strong meetings but I also know I'm responsible to carry the message that I learned here back to my home groups. I've heard a lot of people start leaning towards these meetings and just forget about their local meetings, but it's our responsibility to try and carry the message back and get those meetings as strong as we can, because for this, I am responsible. So I think that the vision for you at the end I'm just going to end with reading what is on there, but I really think that it is our vision that we need to carry this message to every person we have to every meeting we go to, and to anyone that will listen, both in and out of the fellowship. So it says our book is meant to be suggestive only, we realize we only know a little, God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man still sick. Now, these are directions um, Bill and Bob gave us. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you can't transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And this all started with one man with one book, and he handed it on to somebody else. And we're all standing here today as living proof that God works miracles in each one of us. Thanks for letting me share, I'll pass.
0: Thank you so much, Nancy, for sharing your recovery. Okay, uh, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week, we ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone and the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order. With the timekeeper, please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up.
2: Thank you, Carmela. Who would like to share or ask a question this evening? I see Rachel, go ahead.
3: Hi, thanks Nancy. You brought something up that is um, really important to me and that's carrying the message to our home group meetings. And so I have a question. So um, many of our meetings will not be coming back face-to-face in my area, which is the Cincinnati area. It's very disheartening it's very sad. It was kind of, I was in a fear stage for a while my question to you is I have a lot of energy and, and I have helped um, get one of our meetings back face-to-face and it's great, um, but we need more meetings back face-to-face. And I guess my question to you is um, who leads that? And um, hi, Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to um, help out more with that, but I also know that it can't just you know, be one or two or three people. So how have you been able to um, help get your home group meetings back face to face and what kind of boundaries have you had to set so that you're not trying to, you know, save OA? Because I know that that's not my responsibility. <laughs> thanks.
1: <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Rachel. I appreciate the question. And, um, you know, we wrestled with going hybrid and and how we were going to do that. We're still, my home group is still um virtual, and so were the other meetings in this area. Um, I know that there's some AA meetings that are back to -to face-to-face, but not OA. Um, I think that for me, um, I have looked in, I've gotten the information from World Services on how to start a new meeting. They've got a good outline on what you need to do and and how you do that to generate support. That would be one way. I think it's important for me to um, try and make the meetings that I go to here, strong. I mean, people always say they want vision meetings um, or big book study, strong meetings. And the only way we can do that is get recovered people starting to share their experience, strength and hope, and then just carry the message to get people to go to some stronger meetings. So that's what I do. Thanks for the question though. I hope that
2: was helpful. Thank you very much for the question and for the answer. Do I see any other hands virtual or otherwise? I see Erin, go ahead.
4: Hi, I'm Erin B. um, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Nancy. That was, thank you. What I wrote down, um, it was just like something small that you slipped in, but I wrote, go back and thank God when the little miracles happen. Um, I loved that because no matter what step I'm on, I I can find those little miracles. And I was talking to, Someone recovered today who was talking about, like, I told her I'm on, um, step four, like I've done my fear, my resentments and just finished my fears. And, um, I was asking how her relationships have changed because for me, there's a, I need a lot of hope in that area. As I like, look at the selfishness and dishonesty and fears that come up in all of my relationships. And she said, like, the first thing is that the self-awareness, you know, like when, it's so on my mind now so that when someone is saying something or I get triggered or I want to say the thing that I know I don't need to say, the self-awareness is like a prompting from God that I can make another choice. And just that in itself is, a. mere if I can shut my mouth, like that's a miracle. If I cannot say the thing about how you need to fix your life, like, you know, like my mom who I've suggested, lightly suggested goes to you know, coda or something because she needs it so bad. And I know how to fix her life. Like if I can just be quiet, that in itself is often a miracle. And um, this lady also said that on the vision meeting this morning, um, somebody talked about how like his progress has been, he related it to like show and tell, like he used to want to like tell everybody what to do, like tell, tell, tell. And now he just shows like his recovery with his actions and it just shows up in him. So it's more modeling the program instead of telling people what to do. Um, So I like to try to force epiphanies on people and it never works. But I would love to hear how your relationships have changed in your life just through you working the program.
1: Oh, God, great question. And you know what? Talk about the age of miracles. My... Most of my relationships are just so vastly different, and I haven't really done anything except for work the steps and work this program, and God has changed my heart and changed how I respond to people just differently. I mean, I know that I'm more even keeled than I ever was, and I'm not the center of the universe anymore. God's my center, and with that alone, it lets me have a different relationship with all other people, because I know I have to make room for God in the middle of that. Um, the pause is very important to me, um, that I do, you know, I'm not responsible for the first thought that comes in my head, but I'm responsible for the second one. And if I just have that one instant where I can stop and think, or just keep quiet, or somebody said, um, they call it the wait and say to themselves, why are you talking? <laughs> if I can just keep my mouth shut for that just one period, a lot of times I don't need to say anything because the moment passes, but I used to always push those moments and not wait for the pass. I would just have to force my, my will and myself on it. So they have tra- changed dramatically.
2: And for that, I'm ever grateful. Thank you very much for the question, Aaron. Thank you, Erin, for the question. Thank you, Nancy, for the answer. Who else would like to share or ask a question, Nancy, P, go for it.
5: Hi, um, everybody, thanks, Naomi, for letting me share and Nancy. Great job. Nancy's have to stick together. I always say that every morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't have a question, but I wanted to share because you did such a good job about talking about, you know, fellowship, the verb rather than the noun. and um, You know, lately I've been really sort of enjoying my fellowship. The verb, you know, talking to other compulsive readers, and I I make phone calls every day. Um, And I uh, I used to make ninety nine point nine percent of my calls were to newcomers. And then I found that um, if I only called newcomers, it was hard to um, talk about things that were sort of you know higher math because they're sort of you know new, so you don't do that. And um, anyway, so I called a newcomer the other day and, you know, I always, I have this, the same thing that I said when I first was ordered to make phone calls, I still say the same thing. So tell me about yourself. Are you new to for me, vision Are you knew the vision or OA or neither or both or, you know, dot, dot, dot. So this woman was on a business trip and she was like, like she said that she had time. I told her it was fine if she didn't have time. And she did. And she was kind of, you know, like sluggish. And I, you know, I sort of jollied her up a little bit and said, yeah, you know, she was in Kentucky of all places on a business trip. And I told her, well, there's a museum there that's the best one in the world that I think, and you should go to it. And um, so we started talking about that. And then we started talking about the program and we were on the phone for probably 40 minutes. And at the end, she said, I said, well, I'm going to let you go now because I know that you have, you know, if you get to bed or whatever it was that she had to do. So, but I really enjoyed the conversation. She said, I feel all juiced up right now this is great i feel all juiced up that's just what she said i said well the reason that you feel that way is because you're talking to another compulsive overeater who knows exactly what your life is like and that i really feel like this the 12th step that carrying the message in a in an active way is like elixir you know like a snake oil salesman says come over here you know buy this this magic stuff it'll cure hair loss, bunions, arthritis and high blood pressure in one convenient (laughs) dose, you know? And, you know, I feel like in a a way, like that's kind of what, you know, to people that aren't in the program that don't understand what being a compulsive overeater is, every bit of it, we all have different kinds of pain, but since all of our pain leads to the refrigerator, you know, all roads lead to Rome, we all understand each other 100% immediately with no ramp up time. And I told her that I didn't say that. I said, you you feel good because you're talking to somebody who really understands, really, truly understands. And I said, and I hope I told her to save my number. And I said, I hope that you'll pass it along to other people, because even though you just started, you know, my job as a recovered person is, you know, to sponsor and to time steps. I'll wrap up. And your job as a newcomer is to continue to do this work, to continue to call and, you know, have fellowship the verb with other people. Um, so, and you did a really great job of sort of, you know, embodying that um, principle. So great job, Nancy. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Nancy P. And uh, yes, thank you, Nancy C. I, I concur. Um, Carmela is next, go ahead.
0: Everybody, I'm Carmela, compulsive overeater and bulimic. And um thank you so much, Nancy. Um, can never get enough Nancy's in your life uh, for your lead. And um yeah, this is such a great chapter. I um this part about fellowship. So yesterday I I reached out to my very first um friend and program and we both came in at the same time that was my first time in oa and that was 34 years ago um she stayed in oa i ended up going to other programs but um we had such an incredible bond that year and we like did the holiday together we did christmas together we did thanksgiving together we had a meeting in a parking lot because we were the only ones that showed up and there were three of us i mean it was like we've remained friends all this time. And I actually, I talked to her because there are like, things are different now in OA and we didn't have a Visions meetings. And, you know, so we were actually talking about all that, you know, and just like kind of what's happened and how it is now and, you know, just the developments. Um, But there was something we really just got each other through that first year. Um, And um, I just unhighlighted a bunch of stuff today. the heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle control will enable us to do it meaning like control you know I guess our, our eating drinking there was always one more attempt and one more failure um, and this line about being able to imagine life either with alcohol or without it and um, yeah it's like and you know wishing wishing for the end and I think that that's I've definitely been there with food, and feel like um, you know, this. There's another choice, which is the program, um, and recognizing for me, recognizing um, the the allergy, um, and, um, and something else. Um, you know, I love how also in this chapter, how it's like. You know how we have the steps just like, I don't know, not everybody, but like so drawn out. And it's like, basically, you know, he took the bull by the horns and he just like went and did all his events. Like, I mean, it looks like that all happened within like a day. It's not like he took six months to write his fourth step and then, you know, four days to do his fifth step. And then, you know, three months to, I mean, it's just, it's really funny to me how this all went down and I'm not saying any of that is wrong either I think it's all good you know (laughs) but it's very it's very funny to me how like yeah anyway I think that was my time um it's just really great to be getting through going through this book and I really appreciate this meeting thank you
2: thank you you so much Carmela and thank you for your service tonight
0: thank you and Uh, actually I'm supposed to say now that I think we're about to stop the recording because it's five well it's